0: throwing people's phones around, my slide clicker has gone. And like all things Apple, you can't use, you have to use a specific one. So even though there are tons of slide clickers in the the, the building, none that will work for me. Serves me right for buying Apple. Yes? And I'm throwing people's phones around. Deary me. Is it all right? Praise the Lord. It's not Apple. See, if it was Apple, it would have broken. (laughs) We've been looking for some time now about relationship matters. It's because we've seen in the DNA that is Sully or Christian Fellowship over 46 years that God has placed something very significant in the church when it comes to relationships with one another. And we spent a lot of time over the last three or four months looking at different aspects of that relationship, how we should live as individuals in the life of the body. You can go on the website, hit uh, podbeam, and look at all those talks over the last three months or so. And recently we've been taking a shift from the individual and looking at us as a body of people. And a few weeks ago we talked about holiness, How the root word for holy was to cut, to separate, to pull out. And that when God often talked about holy, he talked about it as a group of people. You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. It wasn't so much about individuals. And it was that sense that actually he takes individuals and he cuts you out of this world and forms you into one body and calls you citizens of heaven. Last week we looked at John 17 That they may be one as I am one. And we looked at how again that just as it is Christ that pulls us out and calls us holy, that, that it's not anything that we can do or achieve, he calls us holy, now go walk in it. And what was lovely is two different people came to me in different ways and said, Ben, I've now realized I'm holy. It's made me walk taller. And it's that point, isn't it? It's not like, oh, I've got to do all these things. It's like, I'm holy. I now want to walk differently. We're holy because of what he has done. Amen. Last week, we looked at 1 John, and there was that great quote from Tozer that our butcher now, but he, he was basically saying, how is it that hundreds of pianos, when they are all tuned, can be in complete harmony and unity with one another? It's because actually they're all being tuned to the tuning fork. And it was saying the way that we see unity in the church is is less trying to agree and get on with one another and more being focused on being more like him. So if you like, week one as we restarted is is we're holy because of the work that Christ has done. We're in unity because we seek to be like him. It points back to him. And what was actually incredible is that you can get in, in, in perfect harmony with two guitars. I play the guitar, so the rumor says. And, and, and if you tune with harmonics, the closer you get the two E's, they start to wow, 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 wow. And then all of a sudden, it's just like it's one tune. And when you've got two guitars tuned to each other, you think, wow, that's great. That's perfect. It's only when you align it against the concert pitch, they call it. Is that right? It is, isn't it? The concert pitch, the tuning fork, that you realise that even those two guitars might be perfectly in tune. You're out to the standard. And it's actually the way we become unity. We are one. I pray, Father, that they are one as we are one. is to, to tune yourself to Jesus. And Malcolm Duncan said we need to spend less time trying to agree with one another and more time becoming more like him Then we find we're in unity with each other. So this week, we'll see how we get on with slides because I'm going to have to swipe and I sometimes forget when I've got the thingy in my hand. Yeah, but they'll be all, all on the, um, all on the thingy. So, let's read this because for some reason it didn't print off. We're going to continue that theme of unity and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're going to start at verse 12 for as the one as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but m- many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the bo- body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, on those we bestow greater honour, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composes the body, having given greater honour to that part which it lacks. That there should be no she- schism. 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 I said to Claire. I said, How do you say that word? There should be no schism. She looked it up and said, I know what it means. How do you say it? (laughs) There should be no schism, division. I knew I should have done the NLT. In the Bar D. But that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honoured, all members rejoice with it. God just bless the reading of your word, just about. (laughs) So, let, let's just take a look. Yeah, we don't normally go this route, or at least I do but let's just take a moment to give some background to the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul founded the church around AD 50, at the end of his second mission. He then went off to Ephesus, nearly 180 80 miles away, and toured back around again. Um, some years later, he, he, he goes back to Ephesus, Um, And he receives news about the Corinth church. Let's just read this. Paul returned to Ephesus on his third missionary journey and spent approximately three years there. It was while staying in Ephesus that he received disconcerting news of the community in Corinth regarding jealousies, rivalry and immoral behaviour. Paul also receives a number of letters from the, the church as they seek to clarify certain aspects of their faith. Marriage, eating food, sexual desires. All these things were coming up as they battle with how to throw off the old life and put on the new life. And they were seeking clarification. They were asking things like, what does spiritual freedom mean to a new Christian when everyone around you is caught up in immorality? And you're bombarded with constant temptation. The Corinth city was huge. It was cosmopolitan. It was known for what we would say today, it's debauchery. There was a lot of sexual immorality, but it wasn't considered immorality. It was just the norm. And, and this small group of people, which would be seen as a sect because they would be the odd ones, were trying to battle with how to live when they're bombarded with temptation day in, day out. It could be today. When everyone around you is caught up in immorality and you're bombarded with constant temptation, how do you stand for righteousness? As young believers, they struggle to sort out their newfound faith while living in a city overtaken with corruption and idolatry. Interestingly, that 1 Corinthians is likely the second le-le-le-le to Paul. Wrote scholars think he, he wrote about four. One Corinthians five nine says this I wrote to you in my epistle, so if this is first Corinthians, he's talking about a first one, not to keep company with a sexual immoral. Just for those of you who are interested, um Second Corinthians scholars feel that there are two letters in there. In the first half of Second Corinthians, he talks about the letter of sorrow. If you really want to look at about chapter 12 or 13, there's a real step change in the language and the way Paul writes. Something that that's actually that letter there. Um, but there were four letters written that we can see, of which now they comprise of First and Second Corinthians. It is believed that this first epistle that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 5.9 is lost to us. It's really interesting because a careful reading of, of 1 Corinthians, and you can tell that they actually fundamentally disagreed with most of what Paul wrote in his first epistle, the one that we don't have. And it's quite interesting because we, we kind of think, well, this is Paul, sent Paul. He founded all the churches. They would have received a letter. They would have, gone, oh, my goodness, you know, the, 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 the angels would have sung, and it would have been the word of God, and yet here, the Corinthian church, if you look at 1 Corinthians, there's signs that they just disagreed. Uh, and, and can you imagine when they received this second one? Here we go again. And it, it, I just find that interesting because it's like we just received this as the word of God. And they were like, let's see what this one has to say. There was sexual immorality. There was jealousies. There was rivalries. There was disagreeing with the Apostle Paul. This is the church in an absolute mess. I really like 1 and 2 Corinthians. They ask some great questions. We kind of think, though, that that's it. They could have asked a different set of questions. We should still be asking questions of our Lord today. They ask questions, help us, Paul. Help us work out how we live in this world for today. I so enjoy reading 1 and 2 Corinthians. It's called a church in trouble. Maybe it was a church that was honest, we're struggling. They, they write to Paul, and they say, Paul, Paul, is it okay to sleep with prostitutes? <laughs> at least they were honest. Sometimes, hold on, I, there's a break now, nothing to do with prostitution, but sometimes when Shirley Churches together get together, and we all talk at the end about how things are going in our churches, and we all say it's going well, yeah? We all say, and then one decides to be brave and says, actually, It's a bit of a struggle. I sometimes see the Corinthians like that. As he said, actually, we're not sure we've got everything right. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? I like reading 1 and 2 Corinthians. Chapters 12 and 14. I I read out of, of chapter 12, verses 12 down to 27, I think it was. And these... Three chapters here deals genuinely with the theme of uh, spirituality. Um, Who is spiritual is what they're asking Paul here. They talk a lot about spiritual gifts. They're asking questions about that and specifically the use of tongues. It, It would appear, we don't have time today, it would appear that the Corinthians felt you were only truly filled with the Holy Spirit if you spoke in tongues and that any other spiritual gift was likely from a different God, harking back to their pagan days when they had different gods for different things. But tongues, speaking in tongues was the key element. That was the sign that you were really of God. That was the sign that you were really moving in the Holy Spirit. It's not true. It's not right. Chapters 12 sets the the sense that there are many gifts but one Body. It's what we read out there. Chapter thirteen highlights the need for love as a vehicle through which the gifts operate. Landing on chapter fourteen, when Paul really nails it to the way they've been treating the gift of tongues and puts some order and structure around it. This morning we're going to centre on the portion of Scripture that we read read, read out in chapter 12 that deals with unity in the body through a diversity of gifts. Quickly, moving through um, verses 1 to 11. Let's Let's just read it out. Now, concerning spiritual gifts... Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are Differences of ministries, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith, to another the gifts of healing, to the another the working of miracles prophecy and to another discerning spirits to another different kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills we're going to go through these 11 verses quickly because it sets a scene Paul here outlines basically that you are not spiritual because you operate in any gift That's what the Corinthians were saying. Gosh, look at the spirituality in that person there. Look at the way he operates. Look at the way. Have you seen Vera? Wow, she's incredible. Can you see what she can do? And the tongue she can speak in. Isn't that phenomenal? Paul's saying, no, that is not a sign of your spirituality. You are spiritual because you have recognised and can say that Jesus Christ is Lord that is what makes you spiritual not a gift and certainly not the gift of tongues and I want you to know that if you have felt less because you cannot speak in tongues then I just want to see that cut off from you now cut off from you now and we did it in the 80s and and 90s I remember we would push we would stand people up and say repeat after me and we'd speak what was gibberish to the uneducated and we'd get you and you'd latch on to a phrase and you'd repeat it and you'd repeat it Ah, oh, the Spirit's in you. Inadvertently, you're less of a person if you can't speak in tongues. It's not what the Bible teaches. Amen? This is what makes you spiritual, not a gift, and certainly not the gift of tongues. If you look to a gift as a sign you are spiritual, you are on the wrong track. You are spiritual when you acknowledge and accept Jesus Christ as Lord over your life. Just as you are holy when you accept Jesus as Christ and Lord, and he cuts and pulls you out, you are spiritual when you recognise him as Lord and seek to follow him. In chapters 4 to 11, Paul outlines that there are many gifts, but they come from the same spirit. You see, the Corinthians, going back to their pagan ways, they'd have a gift of money, a, um, a, a God of war, a God of this, or a spirit of that. And they were seeing that again. And they were saying that tongues is the true spirit. Everything else is just another kind of spirit. Paul's saying, no, there is one spirit and one gift giver, and it all comes from him. And not that it's for this morning, but it... He rattles off nine gifts. Those are not an exhaustive list. There are probably many, many more gifts. He's just talking about, look, there's this and there's this and there's this. It's all from God. Whether you're wise, whether you speak in tongues, whether you do healings, it's from God. It's from God. There is one God, one Spirit, one Lord, and He's he who gives gifts for what? To profit all. The reason why he's put gifts within us is to profit one another. And here we then come to where I wanted to land today. We've read this out for as one, for as the body is one and as many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body also in Christ. The question that he's asking here is what would happen if the whole body was one and the same? Answer, you wouldn't be a body. He's now speaking to someone. Imagine he's speaking to a little toe. And he's trying to say to that little toe, look, look, you are there for a reason. God has put you there. And actually, if you want to be a hand, if everything was a hand, guess what? You wouldn't be a body. We are a body in Christ, not because we're all a toe, not because we're all a foot, not because you all sound like me. We're a body because we're different. And there's beauty and there's elegance in that. Amen? What is the message here? You're not meant to be the same. You're not meant to be the same. If you were, you would not be a body. You would be out of balance, out of kilter, in error. And yet how often do we seek to gather people around us that are just like me? Danny Silk in his book of of A a Culture of Honour says, we actually love the, I love the me in you, Paul. I see the me in you, and isn't Paul great? And it's actually because I see me in Paul. And then when I don't see me, if I don't see me in Layla, somehow there's not a connection. Somehow you're not a part. That's rubbish. Yet we do it, don't we? We do it. We like who we like. It's not scriptural, it's not godly, it's not unity, it's not what God has called us to. It isn't. And when we seek to gather people around us who are all the same, we're out of balance. Gosh, the secular world has got hold of this. They understand the different aspects of team and the different roles. And and they'll come and they'll put you on training courses to find out what part of the team that you're in. And they'll speak to the leader, the CEO, and say, look, you're out of balance. You've got loads of sales guys. It's no good. You need others. You need others. The world recognises it and it it leads from God. It's a godly principle. Things work and are in balance when you're in your right place within the body. You are part of the body because you have embraced Christ as Lord and taken on your God-given identity as sons. It starts from that point for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, Roman 8 says. We're sons because we've embraced God in our life. And he calls us sons and daughters. And he says, you're now part of the body. Not because of what you can do. Not because of what you can do. Because of who you are. You are not part of a different body because you don't have a specific gift. That's what the, the Corinthians were saying. Well, us tongue-speaking people, we're of the Holy Spirit. You you wisdom people, I don't know, you're dodgy. You are, you, are, you are not part of a different body because you don't have a specific gift. There is only one body, Jesus Christ, and one gift giver, the Holy Spirit. You are now free from needing to be anything other than a son or daughter of the living God. Amen. Amen. Let me say that again, because that deserved more than the response you gave. You are now free from needing to be anything other than a son or daughter of the living God. Don't worry, I brought my own encouragement. (laughs) You are part of the body of Christ, not excluded, but included as a valued part of the body. God has placed you where God has placed you here in the body just where he wants you. God has placed you let's ground it in this body exactly where he wants you. Who are you to buck against where God has put you? What else? Yes. 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 Yeah, okay. What would keep me out of the body? Metaphorically, nothing actually, because Christ says you're in, but sometimes we disqualify ourselves. We believe the lie. I'm not needed. I'm not good enough. I'm not like Ben. <laughs> what I've got is of no use. Who would want this? Who would want two fish and five loaves, five fish and two (laughs) loaves, who'd want what I've got in my hand, it's a lie, I don't think I have anything to give, it's a lie, I need what others have, it's a lie, it's a lie, jealousy, coveredness, I want, I want that, Because I see, I see when Fred operates in that gift there. I just see what happens, and I want what Fred's got. It keeps us out of the body. It doesn't keep us out from a God point of view. We disqualify ourselves. We keep ourselves separate. We hold back. This is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you are part of the body, therefore you are needed. Therefore you are wanted. Therefore you are loved. This is where we need to stop believing a lie and live in the truth. This is where we may need to get healed up from past hurts. This is where we may need freedom in Christ. Part of this is knowing our, our, our gifting, knowing where God has placed us. There's some incredible tools, strength finders, all sorts of things. But we want to be careful because we then go along about my gift and my calling and my place We need to keep that desire to find what I am about in context of the body. We live in a society that really hones in. Let's find your destiny, your calling. And actually, if we're not careful, we just dip into error because it becomes more about us than it does about serving one another. A hand has a different function to the ear, has a different function to the eye, has a different function to the foot. All are part of the body of Christ. All is needed all is important. Verse 20, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So the passage of scripture that we've just gone through is about the little toe, questioning should I be in the body. The answer is yes. Yes. This now is actually, what do we think of the little toe? Do we think it, it should be in? And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the, 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 the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker and necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable on those we bestow greater honour. This is about us realising we need one another. We need one another, and it's this idea, oh my goodness, we're incomplete, the little toe is gone, the little toe is gone, the little toe is gone, just try and get it, it's this sense of, my goodness, we're now not complete. Or oh, actually, imagine if the little toe was just so upset. Is it a bit hard to think of the toe now upset? You know, that he wasn't something else. And actually, he's just dragging. And the little toe stops doing what it's supposed to be doing, which actually keeps me up right when I run. I fall over and I collapse because all the little toe can think about is I want to be something else. You, you, you need to be content in where God has put you. You need to be content in where God has put you. I used to be part of the the, the PA team for 10 years. And it's interesting because if the PA team are working right, they're pretty much unseen. Is that fair? Yes. But I love that you see, I'm also a worshipper. Yeah. But I know my limitations. Okay. But you see, I'd be on that desk, you know, and there'd be the clarinet and there'd be the flute and the keyboard, and there'd be three or four singers, and the guitarist, and I'd be there on the faders, and you know what, I began to feel a part of what was going on on the stage, I'd start to hear how the clarinet was just going somewhere where they hadn't gone in practice, and I'd tweak the the fader up, or then I'd hear the harmonies, oh my goodness, and I'd I'd, I'd just adjust the harmonies a bit, you know, I'd hear Andrea and Rich and they're harmonising together and instead of turning Richard up, I'd just turn Andrea down a bit. <laughs> I wasn't actually ever a PA manny in his team. All, all of a sudden, Rachel is, oh my goodness, it's like she's at grade 10. I just need to tweak her up a bit. And you know what? I would think, oh my goodness, do you hear that? To the glory of God. And do you know what people were saying? i tell you what they weren't saying Oh, my word, did Ben slide that fader up well. <laughs> oh, my, did you see the way he brought the clarinet in? He didn't. I was unseen, but I was apart, and I worshipped, and it was beautiful. But do you know what? God goes, did you see the way Ben turned that fader up? What's the muscle on the top of the foot that or the, 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 the footballist pull? Yeah, the metatarsal. It's like when you're operating in what you're supposed to be, when a metatarsal is operating as a metatarsal, God goes, oh my goodness, do you see that metatarsal? Michael, Michael, look at the way it's working. Oh, wow. Now, I want to speak to people who've never pulled a metatarsal. Before you heard about it on the news, did you even know you got one? (laughs) Now to those people who have pulled one, or all of a sudden you pulled a muscle you didn't know was there, oh my goodness. (laughs) You know, I now know that when I sit up, I'm using all of these muscles I didn't know I got, probably hadn't got, and I only know they were there when they're hurting. It's the image, it's the image of the body. And you see, if we don't honour where God has placed us, we're in trouble. Do you know what I find that we often do? We assign importance. One of the areas that seems to be so deep in human nature is our ability to assign importance or value to one thing at the expense of another. We do it. We do it in this church. We do it in any group of people. Doing this is simply not godly. It's not in God's heart. James chapter 2 calls it a sin of partiality. We do it in a way someone dresses. We do it in a way they display their gifts. It's a sin to show partiality in that way. It's so easy to do, but we shouldn't. And when we set our minds and our hearts on how God sees us, and how God, I think we've really got to work because it's easy. People say differently, let's not make it about me, you know, crack a few jokes, get a few people to laugh, and they feel a connection. And they feel a connection. And somehow we raise up the platform as something bigger and higher than the PA desk. It isn't. It isn't. And this is what Paul is trying to show here. There's no greater honour. In fact, actually, the ones that are less seen, the ones that actually are are weaker, the ones that need to be covered up, I give more honour to balance out you guys, I think. He says, I give more honour to those things that are not seen. I value them. And we have got to work at not placing different levels of value Based on what we see and don't see. And we've got to work at it because it doesn't come naturally. So one, we assign levels of importance. This this then causes jealousy because other people see. Gosh, do you see what they think of that person when they do that? Because deep, deep down, whether you will agree with me right now, trust me, it's deeply wired in our human nature. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be a part of what's going on. And when we assign different levels of value to different people in the church, it causes jealousy, covetousness. I want to be like them. If I can only have that, if I can only be like so-and-so, then it'll be all right. We then create another Hera We do it with with kids And maybe when they're young We do We run a race And everyone gets a prize Everyone's a winner We we, we then go the other way And we either don't honour anybody Or we try and honour everybody At the same time Which is the same as honouring no one There is times Let's keep the analogy of the body There are times when we applaud The way the hand picked up the pen Oh Did you see that? There's times when we do that. There's times when we honour different people in different ways, but not at the expense of other people. But that's when we have to be healed. Because it's only when somebody else has been honoured that you know what's really inside you. And it may be inside you because actually you have been genuinely hurt. You have been cast aside You'll be made to feel like there is no use, there is no place for you, and when other people are honored, it then rises to the surface. So, two points. We do honour people. One, we need to get healed up, otherwise we struggle to honour anybody. Yeah. A work needs to go on in us so we don't assign higher value. While the passage above was to the little toe, this is to us as all how we see the little toe operating. And we have to realise that God placed the little toe there. Verse 18, God set the members. Verse 24, God composed the body. God gives greater honour to the part that lacks honour. Verse 24, God honours us for who we are not what gift we have. We need to learn to do the the, the same. We need to realise that we need everyone. If God honours everyone, then who are we to place a lower level of importance on someone else who is simply not like me? We need to seek it out, not beat ourselves up, but recognise where actually we've shown partiality and say, Lord, I'm not doing it anymore. What did we talk about last week? Unity is unstoppable. Tower of Babel. Is there nothing that men can't do now they're of one mind and one heart? When we're in unity with God and each other, we become unstoppable. And actually, this level of unity that I'm talking about, get it wrong, and it cripples relationship. It kills unity. It divides the body, and Satan gets in and he has a field day. If God honours everyone, then who are we to place a lower level of importance on someone who is not like me? Who am I to bestow le- less honour, less re- recognition, less respect because they are simply not like me? And yet we do. Why does Paul say this? Because actually it brings division, it just brings division. And somewhere else in Scripture, because I didn't realise it, a divided house cannot stand. It cannot stand so much that Jesus says, if if, Beelzebub, if the devil is working against himself, he cannot stand. And when we are working against each other in different ways, when I was in the bank, I was um, always number two. I was fine. And the director that I would support and always would tend to become a a bit of a confidant would bring me into their boardroom, I'd present, etc, etc. And I'd see a group of people that were seeking to get along, smiling, laughing, don't get me wrong, sometimes there were difficult moments. However, then I would walk out, and under three directors I was under, to a man, they would just then tear strips off their colleagues. It looked like they were pulling together. But behind the scenes, I've got to watch Fred. Fred's always trying to manoeuvre, take this off me, take that off me. I've got to watch him. How many films have we seen where it's all about a power play? It's all about manoeuvring pieces around the board to get one up on somebody else. We've got to make sure that doesn't come into the church because it's cancer. It's cancer. We have to work. The first value we have in our leadership charter is I choose to think the best of one another. I choose. Therefore, when I say something off base that is not normally like me, my team goes, hang on. I know Ben, this isn't like Ben. Or when they're not sure what I'm doing and they think I'm trying to undervalue them. Not only will they come and speak to me, that's another value, but they actually don't think it in the first place because that's not what Ben does. But we have to work at that. We have to work at that because we're one body. Spurgeon said, said this, the parts of the body work together. The eye ears do not only serve themselves, but the whole body. The hands do not only feed and defend themselves, but the whole. The heart does not only supply blood to itself, but serves the whole. Sometimes there is a part of the body that only lives to serve itself. It doesn't contribute anything to the rest. And everything it gets, it uses to feed and grow itself. There you go. We call this cancer. That was Spurgeon. I just asked the band to come up as we, as we prepare to take commune, communion together. God has called us to one body. And this morning, you have a place here. You have a place here. And actually, before communion, during communion, however it's done, maybe you have been hurt. Maybe you have felt left on the fringe, cast aside, made to feel unimportant, unneeded, unwanted. It may have happened here. It may have happened somewhere else. Well, we just want to pray for you. Because it's so easy in this area to become wounded and hurt. It's real. They're like arrows that go straight in and it hurts. And as a collective, we need to work at recognising not only our differences, but honouring us, honouring one another for that. So I will be at the front while I hand over to Andrew and she leads us in communion. But I'd just love to pray for you. If you have felt like you're not a part of, of the body of Christ, if you have felt like you're not a part of this church, I'm sorry. If you feel wounded and hurt, then God wants to heal you so we can be one as he is one. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Andrea.